Dear friends, Jesus, totally God and totally human, his totally human side needed friends to pray with him in his deepest trial. We all need friends to pray with us when we're going through deep waters. But what did Peter, James, and John do? They fell asleep. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. If you've been following along on our broadcast, you know that over this past year, we began an intensive study of the Gospel of John. David will continue with this study later this week, but today, as a refresher, we're going to go back to hear David's introduction remarks to the Gospel of John. Well, someone once said that the way you begin a very long journey is with the first single step. Uh, Somebody else jokingly said the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time, and you've got to take that first bite to begin. Uh, Both illustrations are appropriate today. Uh, We begin our study of the Gospel of John. We're going to spend probably at least a year going verse by verse through this magnificent Gospel. Um, If you don't know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels, S-Y-N-O-P-T-I-C, Synoptic Gospels. That's because they have a lot in common as you read through them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is unique. It's not one of the synoptic gospels. That's because 90% of what's in John is not found in the synoptics in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. It's unique. It's like John, uh, who was the youngest of the disciples when he was called by Jesus, lived long beyond all the other disciples who followed Jesus had been uh, crucified or martyred in their faith. And it's like John at the end of his life looked at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which had already been written, and said, we need the spiritual side of Jesus. We need to know this intimate life that we can have in Jesus. So he wrote the Gospel of John with his own deep understanding as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He called himself five times that phrase in the Gospel of John, and he knew a deep love of Jesus, probably like no other of the disciples knew. So 90% of what's in John is not in the other Gospels. It's profound. It's deep. It was Dr. Billy Graham's favorite Gospel. It was my dad's favorite Gospel. Really, folks, it's mine as well. And I thought, how can I help deepen you in your intimate love relationship with Jesus? Let's go through the Gospel of John. So we're going to do this verse by verse over the next however many months it takes so that our lives can grow in their intimacy with Jesus. John, um, he wrote the Gospel of John, which we're about to take that first bite and that first step. Uh, He also wrote three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which enlarge the gospel's understanding of how to be lived out in the church. And also he wrote the book of Revelation after a magnificent supernatural vision from Jesus himself. That is who wrote those books. Uh, John himself was a part of a fishing industry with his brother James. They were the sons of a man named Zebedee. Their mother was named Salome. Uh, So they had some knowledge and interaction with Jesus uh, when he first called them. He called, Jesus called them from their fishing industry. They must have been quite wealthy. They must have been doing well because they owned boats. And only people who were wealthy owned boats in the fishing industry. 
And since they probably had some money, there is every evidence to believe they were well-schooled, well-educated, and had a great deal of rabbinic, Old Testament, theological background as a part of their lives. Now, the Bible tells us that in Mark, the third chapter, Jesus went on a mountaintop and prayed that God would reveal to him whom he should call as his disciples. And when anyone during that day wanted a rabbi to teach them well, they would just follow him and listen to his teachings. But ultimately, the rabbi would choose among the multitudes a few in order to teach more specifically what he wanted them to know. So Jesus had multitudes following him even as a rabbi, but then he looked down from the mountaintop after prayer from the Father and said, here are the 12 whom I choose. And two of those were James and John. They were, again, the sons of Zebedee. That was the name of their father. But when Jesus called them in Mark 3, it's interesting, he called them the sons of Boanerges. <laughs> That's so funny because... Jesus must have known them, and he must have known them pretty well. So he nicknamed them right after he chose them to be one of his 12 disciples. Now, the word Boanerges means thunder. So they were the sons of thunder, which seems to suggest that both James and John had a quick trigger. Uh, they had an impetuous side to them. Uh, they could get angry pretty quickly. And you see in other places in the New Testament where that's evidenced. Uh, for example, in Luke, the ninth chapter, uh, Jesus was traveling through Samaria. And again, the Samaritans hated the Jews and the Jews hated the Samaritans. Uh, James and John looked for a place where the disciples could rest, could, you know, rent a hotel room, if you will, and the Samaritans wouldn't let them come in. They, they wouldn't give them a motel room uh, because they were prejudiced against Jews. Now, James and John's trigger snapped, and they said to Jesus, do you want us to call down lightning from heaven and completely destroy the city where these Samaritans live? And Jesus is kind of, oh, no, that's, that's not what I want at all. Don't do that. An evidence of, again, sons of thundering, flipping off, getting really angry quickly. And Jesus saw that side of them when he called them. Another place where it's evident is in Matthew, the 20th chapter. Uh, it says, starting with verse 20, that Salome, uh, the mother of James and John, went to Jesus, and Jesus had just announced he's heading toward Jerusalem, where he'll most certainly face the cross, and he will be raised from the dead. Well, she, and along with James and John, probably put it together that, oh boy, he's going to establish his kingdom now. And she was thinking, you know what? I'm related to your mom. She's my sister, and these guys are your cousins. They need a little favor in your kingdom. And so she went to Jesus and said, why don't you let my boys, when you establish your kingdom, I mean, you're the king, you're number one, but let James and John show a little nepotism here, guy. Uh, let them sit at your left and right hand in your kingdom. And then, of course, Jesus gave a lecture to Salome and the boys about those who will be first in his kingdom will be last, that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life away as a ransom for many. But it was, again, Salome, probably see where they got the thunder part of their lives, don't you, uh, encouraged the boys as well to 
snap off and demand that they sit at Jesus' left and right hand when he ultimately took over his kingdom. So you can see that they began with a very tempestuous attitude, a very trigger-friendly anger that would be exposed at a moment's notice when Jesus first called them. But nevertheless, Jesus called them not because of who they were, but because he saw who they could become. As you continue to walk through the gospel accounts, you can see how important James and John were to Jesus. Because among the 12, uh, Jesus also chose another person in the fishing industry with James and John named Peter. And Peter, James, and John became the inner circle of Jesus. There were the 12, but there were also the three. And Jesus had an intimate, close, personal relationship, unlike the other nine, with these three. And, and you see different times during the gospel accounts when these three acted in specifically interesting ways in Jesus' life. For example, when Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and there his, his glory was exposed to Peter, James, and John, it's like his flesh veiled his Godhead. And if anyone looked straight into the eyes of God, we would die because of our sinfulness and his perfect holiness. So God veiled his glory with his human flesh, but on the top of that mountain, uh, the Father lifted off that glory for a moment and Jesus was shown in all of his splendor with perfect whiteness. The, the text describes it like he'd just been laundered in a perfect laundry detergent. And then Moses and Elijah, the, the chief prophet, and the chief lawgiver of the Old Testament step out of eternity and join Jesus, Peter, James, and John on that mountain. And it's just so interesting. I think God wanted to encourage Jesus as he was, was moving in those last days toward his death and resurrection. He wanted to say, you know, I'm gonna be with you as hard as these next days are going to be. But I think he was also using this as an opportunity to say to Peter, James, and John, look at my son, Jesus, and he says specifically to all three of them, listen to him. It's almost like don't take the priority of the words of Moses and Elijah as your primary sources of obedience to me. Listen to him. Jesus said, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Now, why is that important? Because when Jesus calls us to follow him, he does not fudge on what it's going to be like to follow him. There are going to be tough times. We're going to have to push through problems. There are going to be times we feel like we want to fall away from the faith. I've been walking with Jesus now for decades. There are times, honestly, dear friends, that I feel like I just want to give up and not keep moving forward. But it's in those times that the promises of Jesus come to me and help me keep pushing through and moving forward. And then the glory drops and Moses and Elijah go back into heaven, into eternity. And James, Peter, and John are left there alone with Jesus. And, and Peter wanted to build a, a commune on top of the mountain. He wanted just to stay on top of the mountain and say, let's just build houses here and let's... Uh, 
make our ground fertile and let's grow crops here and let's build a booth to you, Jesus, and let's just remove ourselves from the world and stay away from all of the world's problems and all of its difficulties. And of course, Jesus said, no, I mean, I, I didn't call you to remove yourself from the world. I called you to be in the world. And they come back down off the mountain and enter into the world again. Uh, we see that when Jesus healed Jairus, his daughter, uh, he removed the crowds and he took only Peter, James, and John with him when he healed Jairus' daughter. I mean, Peter, James, and John saw this miraculous movement of Jesus where there was a dead little girl and she was raised from her dead bed to new life in Jesus. I mean, again, they saw that miracle happen along with the transfiguration. Can you get an idea why? Peter, James, and John were so essential to Jesus. And also, the night before the crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Jesus left the nine and took with him Peter, James, and John into the garden. And there, he agonized over what was facing him the next day. He knew, first of all, the physical pain. That was going to be bad enough. But he knew the spiritual pain when all the sins of the world would come upon him on that cross and the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, had always had intimacy and love with one another. Jesus knew at the moment that death came upon him and he would take all the sins of the world, yours and mine included, upon himself that the Father who is perfectly holy could not have an intimate love relationship with him, would have to turn his back on him. That's why Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, they would not have that one relationship. And when Jesus thought about it, that it was agony beyond words. The text even says to us that blood vessels, capillaries in his forehead started to burst. He was so under stress, under pressure, under all kinds of difficulty that his capillaries on his forehead burst and he started bleeding blood down his forehead. But with Peter, James, and John, he took them with him, knowing the agony of that hour, to ask them to pray with him. Dear friends, Jesus, totally God and totally human, his totally human side needed friends to pray with him in his deepest trial. We all need friends to pray with us when we're going through deep waters. But what did Peter, James, and John do? They fell asleep. During that hour of agony when Jesus had to wrestle with the Father if the cross was really his will and he finally heard his Abba Daddy in heaven say to him, this is my will, and Jesus submitted to them. Jesus went back to Peter, James, and John and said, couldn't you even stay awake for one hour? They couldn't because even though their spirit was willing, their flesh was really weak. But they had an encounter with Jesus in that garden. And who knows when they fell asleep, they could have heard Jesus crying out to the Father during that time period, thus giving them insights that helped them later write down what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. So Peter, James, and John were part of that inner circle. Uh, we also see that for the Last Supper, Jesus sent ahead Peter, and John to go find the upper room where they would have that last supper together. So again, it was a very close relationship with Peter who became the voice of the apostolic band and John in that close intimate relationship with Jesus who set up the last supper. And also at the last supper, we see something that is just extraordinary. Um, 
In that room, all the 12 disciples were in a circle. They weren't sitting in chairs behind a straight table as Leonardo da Vinci suggests. That's not the way the Bible describes it. And they would eat in that day on the left elbow. And the left elbow would allow the head to be right in the breast of the person next to them. Well, Jesus, of course, was the leader of the Last Supper. And whenever somebody had a great meal like that, what they would have is their closest friend on their right hand, and they would have the person of honor, the guest of honor on their left hand. So Jesus' head was next to his guest of honor. Guess who he chose that night to be his guest of honor? Judas, the one who would betray him. Well, then we move on and see that Jesus ultimately went to Pilate, and what Pilate and the Jewish officials put Jesus through was horrific. Uh, Pilate, in order to satiate the bloodthirstiness of the people crying out for someone to pay the penalty for crimes that had been committed during that year, and uh, Pilate offers Barabbas, a real criminal, as the one who could satiate that desire, but they cried out, no, no, we want Jesus, give us Jesus. And so in order to try to satisfy them, because Pilate knew he was guiltless, he had Jesus scourged 39 times with a whip that was matted with metal and bone and glass. It would have ripped his back apart. And the Romans called it intermediate death because the knowledge was that 40 lashes would kill somebody. Jesus had 39 lashes. Interestingly, the Apostle Paul talks about having at one point received 39 lashes in that kind of intermediate punishment. And then Jesus had to uh, take his cross up the hill to Golgotha. And, and there he was finally planted in the ground with railroad spikes planted in his wrists and in his feet, put up on that cross. And the only way he could continue to breathe was to try to raise up on his toes and inhale and exhale coming down. The only way he could stay alive. And there he did warfare with the enemy of darkness. And finally, he said, it is finished. But before he said, it is finished, something amazing happened. All the other 11 disciples had run away. They, they had gone, except one. And at the foot of the cross, there was John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with a conversation about how we can maintain vision in life. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and with me today is Bart Noonan with West Boulevard Ministry. Bart? Tell us about West Boulevard Ministry. Uh, thank you, Mark, for this opportunity to speak about West Boulevard Ministry and, and more importantly about Jesus Christ. West Boulevard Ministry serves the spiritual and physical needs of the families and the communities within the West Boulevard quarter to the glory of Jesus Christ. Whether we're doing neighborhood outreach cookouts, gatherings where we're bringing people outside of their apartments, their homes, into fellowship with one another, or we're doing Bible study bingo the first Wednesday of every month at Little Rock Apartments. And uh, we gather anywhere from 50 to 70 children that we share the gospel with and we play bingo after our Bible study portion of the night. And a couple weeks ago, there's a young man who we've been walking with now close to three years who came in, he, he forgot something, like a lot of young, young kids do, he forgot something in the um, space. 
and he came back in and he ended up praying out myself and all the other volunteers for the West Boulevard ministry team that were gathered there for that night and led us all in prayer and closed it out. And this young man, we've been taking to church every every Sunday for about the past year and a half. And, and that's what it's all about. It's about providing an opportunity for Jesus Christ to work inside someone's heart and, and then encourage them along the way. That sounds great. Now, Bart, if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, how would they do that? The best way to do is uh, either email myself at bart at westboulevardministry.org or they can call me straight up in my cell phone and I always answer. I'm sort of like a doctor. The phone's always on and that's 980-298-9027. I would encourage folks too to also go to our website, which is westboulevardministry.org and there you can see some of our photo galleries. You can see some of the blogs and a lot of things we do throughout the West Boulevard Corridor to the glory of Jesus Christ. It is great having you with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Jen. I hope you had a very Merry Christmas. I did. I hope you did as well. We did. We really had some wonderful time with the family. It was just terrific. Oh, that is awesome. Well, this week, we're going to use our time together to talk about how to look back well over 2021, but to look forward to 2022 with hope. So what are your thoughts for us today? Hmm. Well, um, Um, How about this one? Here's something that my dad told me all the time that I really do believe is true. You can't ride a bike looking over your shoulder. You're just asking for pain. (laughs) (laughs) So those of you who received a bike for Christmas, listen up. You better be careful. Now, it is a literal truth. It's also a broader truth as well. I mean, you can't really ride a bicycle constantly looking over your shoulder trying to see what's behind you. You're ultimately going to fall into a ditch or hit a bump or cause some kind of pain to your life. Uh, The truth is, though, you do have to ride your bike occasionally looking over your shoulder just to make sure you're safe. But most of the time, you've got to keep your eyes straight ahead on the horizon in order to drive safely. And I just think, Jen, that's a beautiful allegory, if you will, of how we should ride our life's bike. Every single one of us is on one, and we're riding down this road every year, passing another year, passing another year, until we die and hopefully, for those who believe, go be with Jesus. We should not, though, while we ride the life spike that God has given us, look constantly to the past. If we do so, we're going to run into a ditch. We're going to hit a bump. We're not going to survive. God did not intend us to continue to live our lives looking at the past. The past has passed. We've got to move on and keep our eyes focused on the future. So therefore, look back at 2021. It was a challenging year in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. But Mostly learn from the lessons that you learned in 2021. Don't repeat them because if you repeat them, you're really dumb. That's not a smart thing to do. So be encouraged today. Yeah, I just want you to know that if you've gone through something and you didn't learn that lesson, most likely God will take you through that same thing until you finally learn that lesson. I mean, the purpose of tests in the schoolroom is to get you to understand the information. Well, the teacher will keep administering the test until you finally understand the information 
question. I think God operates the same way. Mm -hmm. So learn from your past. Go, okay, Lord, I got that. I'm not going to do that Mm -hmm. again. That's called repentance. Mm -hmm. It's a word that is often A-W-O-L, gone away on leave. We have forgotten it in our Christian vocabulary. Mm -hmm. Um, It is an important word, though. One of my friends said the best definition of repentance he's ever heard is stop it. I like that one. (laughs) You know, don't do it anymore, but then look to the future. You know, the future's what's ahead of you, and look to the future, and don't repeat those same mistakes, and have hope as Mm. you believe that God's going to still use you in powerful ways. This reminds me of the verse in Ephesians that says that we have good works that God has planned for us to fulfill, and certainly in 2022, all of us can look ahead and fulfill those good works that he has for us and not get stuck in the past. Well, every single one of us has those good works that God has prepared for us before the foundations of the earth, and we need to live in that reality knowing that God has a great plan for our lives and it's with a future and a hope. Just don't ride your bike looking over your shoulder. You're going to have a problem if you do. Hey, everyone, look forward to 2022. It will be a good year. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We'd love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moment of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston, hoping you reflect on God's goodness this last year.